Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlay, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Good evening, everyone. Rich Katino, New York Sports Wrap. Sitting next to Mike Silva, who's subbing for Justin Walters, who's frolicking and having a great time in the in China, I heard. I'm sure China's buzzing about that. And we got just a full show tonight. Mike, welcome aboard. Always good to see you. Thanks, Rich. Looking forward to it. It was only just two short weeks ago. You were in Washington, Washington D.C. I was subbing in. Mets were on the verge of sweeping the Nationals. And here we are. First month of the baseball season already over. NFL draft is in the books. It's amazing how quickly we prepare January 1, all these events, all these big days. Uh, and, and it comes so quick. Before you know it, it's going to be uh, Memorial Day, 4th of July, and then the trading deadline. And you'll be looking at a, pe- <laughs> a pennant push before you know it. You got it. We're going to talk a little Mets and Yankees. We're also going to talk a lot of, tonight about the NFL draft at 9 o'clock. Dennis Wasik of the AP will be joining us on that. And also, I want to talk in the last half hour of the show a little bit about the NBA and NHL playoffs, which have been tremendous playoffs, both sports. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the Pope coming back. Now, I don't mean the one in the Vatican. I mean the one that thinks he owns the Vatican, Mike Francesa, who's back. Entercom decided to open about half of their wallet and pay him. And I'm going to talk to you. And, yes, I do work for ESPN. So, yes, my objectivity might be slighted. But I'm going to sit here and tell you why 
The Michael K. Show is a better show to listen to than any of the drivel you'll hear on 660 AM. And yeah, I'm on a, a different station now. It's kind of weird to be talking about all that. But I think Michael and I go back to when I was an 18-year-old kid. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my background with Michael. We don't always agree, as you might well understand. But uh, Michael K. is also a, all, always a charter member of the Catino family. And we'll talk about that in the 930 hour. Before we get to baseball, I want to talk scoreboard. Um, Mets beat the Padres 14-2 to to take two out of three from the Pods, a four-and-five road trip. Not great, but acceptable. They come home in first place after the first month of the season, although some of the Met beat writers may want you to think they're in last place, the way they talk about them on Twitter. Red Sox beat the Rays by a score of 4-3. to Yankees are playing the Angels in the third of their three-game set. Yankees looking for the sweep there. Mariners beat the Indians 10-4. It was the Blue Jays 7, Rangers 2. Reds beat the Twins 8-2. Astros 19-10 now in the season. They beat the A's 8-4. Royals over the White Sox by a score of 5-4. Orioles beat the Tigers 5-3. Dodgers can't get out of their own way. They lose another one. This one to the Giants 4-2. Marlins shut out the Rockies 3-0. Nats finally got a win over the Diamondbacks. I think I saw the stat where the Nats are now 4-9 at home. Of course, the Mets contributed to those nine losses, but nonetheless, not where the Nats wanted to be. I believe seven back in the loss column of the Mets as we speak. So definitely um, not where they wanted to be after the first month of the season, but lots of injuries for the Nats as well. Braves beat the Phillies 10-1, so the Braves took two out of three from the Phillies. Both of them are a game and a half behind the Mets right now. Pirates shut out the Cardinals 5 nothing. Cardinals won 2-0-3 from the Mets, Mike. And then the Pirates smoked them in a weekend series. That shows you how quickly it could turn a baseball. And maybe they should have really lost two out of three, <laughs> yeah. if you really think about it. But it has been weird. And let's let's really look at it. When I was here two weeks ago, everybody was freaked out. The Yankees had just lost, what, three or four to the Orioles. The Orioles are, have proven since then to be a really bad baseball team, at least from the pitching side. Uh, the Mets were in the midst of a big series win against the Nats. Uh, and now they're 17 and 9 and things have leveled out a little bit. They they started out 12 and 2. Since then they've been 5 and 7. I think this is a team that's somewhere down the middle, but think about this and this is what nobody's really talking about. And this is not a Pollyannish take because I saw some of the debate going on on Twitter. No Anthony Swarzak, that's been a big part of the bullpen that pretty much has been out all season. He was there for the first couple of games. Jay Bruce, Ioannis Cespedes and Michael Conforto have not hit yet. Right. Ioannis Cespedes has an OPS going into today's game below 700. Adrian Gonzalez has nearly not hit yet. Really, in the lineup, you've had a little bit of Todd Frazier, and you've had uh, Struble Cabrera really carrying the offense. The catching situation is in disarray because who could have predicted that both catchers within 24 hours, one would go out for the year, mm-hmm. the other would break his hand. I think he'll be back in a couple of weeks, but now you've got to get him rebooted and re- reset and all that other things and what have you. Um, and let's face it, outside of Syndergaard and DeGrom, and even those guys, more Syndergaard and DeGrom, have not been until recently themselves, you've had an ERA out of the other starters of over six. So this is a team that's been 17-9 with two offensive players, with a bullpen that is probably a little overworked but has really performed well and been managed well, I think, by Mickey mm-hmm. Calloway, which was a big complaint I had for the Terry Collins uh, era. And a starting rotation that is really not performing much different than a year ago. Because a year ago they were bad, but they had no DeGrom, they had DeGrom and no Syndergaard. Now they have DeGrom being DeGrom. Syndergaard is in the rotation. that We knew he'd be good. And everyone else is performing the same uh, poor results that you saw a year ago. So 17-9 with all that is pretty good. And they probably should be 
19 and 7 because they blew a couple of games on the road trip. And the three games they've blown the last two weeks are probably going to be the three worst losses they have all year, you would hope, assuming that they don't have another three losses like they had the last couple of weeks. So, you know, everyone's acting like it's been peaches and cream. It really hasn't been for the Mets. Well, you know, it's funny because when the Mets lost that first one in the Nationals where they had the big lead and blew it in that eighth inning, I heard everyone in the press corps walking down saying, that's it, the Nationals are going to turn it around now. Well, what have the Nationals done since that game? They lost the game the next night to the Mets. Then they went on a homestand in which they – actually, no, they went to Los Angeles – and they lost two out of three to the Dodgers. And then they went to San Francisco, lost two out of three to San Francisco. And now they came home and lost two out of three to the Diamondbacks. So, you know, I love when people kind of point to things and say it's going to change everything. And then, like, a week later they say, oh, I didn't really mean that. But the bottom line with the Mets is they're eight games over five hundred, And you want to win, be a 90-win team in this sport, in a six-month season, you have to average three games over five hundred a month. And I think what the 11-1 start did for the Mets, it gave them a little bit of a cushion. And they've used up some of that cushion, but they got, they're coming home now. They're going to play three with the Braves, three with the Rockies. Then they go on the road. They play three in Cincinnati, and they play three in Philadelphia. And I think the warm weather's starting to come now, and I think that's going to help some the Mets hitters. But I also think it's going to help some of the Mets pitchers who were used to pitching in that weather down in Florida and now coming back up here. I think Vargas will be fine. He is who he is. He's a control pitcher, but I think he's fine in the third slot. And I think the guy that has shown me the most, other than of the three others, is Wheeler. Wheeler's shown me the most. Now, he still only goes five or six innings. He still throws a lot of pitches. But ERAs don't lie. His ERA is significantly lower than Matt's or Harvey's. Um, And I think that, you know, when you compare Wheeler and evaluate him, Mike, you got to evaluate him to other fourth starters. And I look at the Nationals, I say the Nationals have Scherzer and they have, you know, obviously, you know, Strasburg at the top of the rotation. Geo's solid, and I have to say you give him an edge over Vargas. But fourth and fifth starters in this sport, you're lucky if they give you a 4.5 ERA or lower. And that's really what you got to hope to get from your fourth and fifth starters. I think what's going to plague these guys, that's Mats, Wheeler, and, and now Harvey going forward, is expectations. Expectations are preconceived disappointments. Right now, when these guys are all uh, in the minor leagues, all coming through the system, DeGrom wasn't supposed to be the best one. And heck, when Syndergaard was drafted, I don't think Syndergaard was supposed to be anywhere near mm-hmm. what he was or else Toronto probably would have traded him. Whereas Wheeler was. Whereas Wheeler was. And I was always skeptical because of delivery. And I said he's going to have Tommy John surgery. He had that inverted V and all that other stuff. And he did. And he's not efficient with his pitches. And he's hard to watch sometimes. He's got a little of that Sid Fernandez in him. You know when Sid used to go, yeah. you know, 3-2, and 3-2. and two. Al Leiter at times, early in his career, and then later in his career was a little like yep. that too. Yep. Uh, very tough to watch. Uh, but at the end of the day, if guys like Mats and Mats to me, it's all between the ears. You saw Mickey Callaway talk about it. He's got to slow the game down. He's got to let little dribblers and errors not get to him. Those two guys, um, you know, if they can just go out and give you six innings, two to three runs, I think once the offense is stabilized, let's assume that Ioannis Cespedes is going to be okay with his thumb injury. And I think this offense will score about four and a half runs a game, which should be enough to win on most days. 
It's not going to be an offense that is going to come at you every inning, but it's going to be an offense that I think can put up a three or four spot and then you know maybe level it out with a runner or two here or there. And I think that annoys the fans because it's hard to watch. I mean, it's not the way they're built is really good bullpen starters outside of Degrom Syndergaard getting you to the sixth inning offense that's going to put up a three spot and hopefully add on a run. That's not sexy. That's not the Yankees. That may not be even the Nationals when everybody comes back and. And is healthy, but it's a way to win. It's 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 not much different in some ways. The way that they've been winning, uh, with not as good an offense as how they did in two thousand six. A lot of bullpen, not a great starting rotation, put up just enough runs to win the ball game. So, and you know when you look at the Mets' schedule thus far, they've played six games with the Nationals, six with the Cardinals, and three with the Brewers. That's fifteen games, and I think it's safe to say that many of the quote experts in our sport pick them to be more legitimate playoff teams than the Mets. And the Mets in that 15-game stretch have gone 9-6 and six against those teams. And could have been even better if they would have won that fifth game, gotten that 5-1 and one against the Nats instead of 4-2, and two, and likewise with the Cardinals. I think that speaks a lot to it. And, you know, me and uh, one of the beat writers had a little tete-a-tete. Yeah, you and, Matt e- tonight. Matt, you, you and Matt E. Hall, too. Matt has come on my podcast um, uh, very statistically inclined. And, look, there was a lot of interesting stuff. You were talking more about the fact that wins and one-run games shows a lot about a team. I think you're right. It shows they have a deep bullpen because when you get to the third or fourth arm in other teams' bullpens, that's usually a shaky guy. Mets, it's still a pretty solid guy at this point. Yep. Um, it shows you that a team could stay in a ball game. Uh, they could grind out our bats and things like that. But the run differential also is something because you could point to history. And historically, teams that have the Mets who coming in today were like plus one or plus two. Mm-hmm. Those are about 500 teams. Now, they just went a plus 12 today. Right. That plus 12 counts as one. In Pythagorean one loss run differential, it probably is a lot more than one win. Right. So uh, I get that. Uh, I think this is a 90-win team if they're healthy. And 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 is that enough to win the division? I don't know right now. Uh, the Nats have a lot of catching up to do, and they can. I mean, they don't have Murphy. They haven't have Eaton. When those guys come back, but let's also remember, Daniel Murphy's coming back, and nobody's talking about it, from a pretty serious micro- microfracture surgery is not a uh, an oil change. That's right. pretty serious. And I think his range is going to be uh, hampered right now. Uh, and I don't know how good of a defensive player it is. Personally, I think Murph going forward is a first baseman. And I would love to see the Mets maybe look at signing him as a first baseman this offseason. That's down the road and what right. have you. Um, you know, Adam Eaton has been just injured all the time. He's a really good player. And I think he can make that lineup go. Um, but the Nats just seem off. Yeah, that the, bullpen isn't that great either. That's no, the other it isn't, thing. It isn't. And, 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 you know, when I see that bullpen. <laughs> and, and you I, would think Madsen. Kin- Kinsler's not my type of reliever. Kin- too much contact. Kin- way too much Kinsler contact. Kinsler to me is Dave Smith. <laughs> that's, that's what, what I said. think of when I said it on Twitter the other day. Uh, the Mets used to pound uh, Dave Smith. But that bullpen, I mean, I think Doolittle's fine to close. But yes. other than that, I, I – Madsen, I, eh. I mean, he's good, but you got to – and Kinsler, to me, is the guy that uh, is kerosene on a fire at that point. Absolutely. And Solis is, is actually an interesting arm. He's actually, uh, I think, an upgrade over Oliver Perez over there. He is. And, and you know, I look at the Met bullpen, and I think once Swarzak comes back – Met bullpen's better than the Nationals. Bullpen. And it's very deep. Now, the interesting thing, and you'll see it this week, how serious are the Braves, how serious are the Phillies over the next two weeks? Are they? There's a lot of teams that play well April, May, and June and, and fade out. 
if you go back to 2010, 2011, 2012, the Mets had some good first halves. Yeah, they did. Uh, and they faded out. And those were teams, maybe not 2010, but 2011, 2012, that weren't ownership at that point going through the financial situation wasn't willing to invest in. Sandy Olison felt that the upside of investing in those teams didn't uh, make sense. It was more about rebuilding and getting what they could for Beltron and Dickey. And turns out they're they're reaping the benefits of that now with a team that potentially has a higher upside. But let's see if the Phillies and the Braves have that stick-to-itiveness, if that's actually a word. Where are they going to be a month from now, two weeks from now? Braves' first test is coming to City Field. They're going to face DeGrom and Syndergaard. Let's see what you got now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the Phillies, money-wise, I think are more apt to do it than the Braves. Uh, The Phillies showed... In the offseason, they were willing to spend money. So it all depends with these teams, though, how much of their young prospects they would want to give up to get a player that I think will put them over the top. And I don't think teams are going to decide on that till mid to late June as they approach the All-Star game. But I think when I look at the Mets in this division, and I said it at the start of the year, I thought the Nationals and the Mets were neck-and-neck teams. And I still think it's going to be a neck-and-neck Met-National um National League Eastern Division pennant race, but I do think the Mets will come out on top because I think the Mets have overall more balance than the Nationals have. Even though the Nationals have the better everyday lineup when they're healthy, I think the Mets have more balance throughout their team, um, and and I think they're I think they're better than the Nationals. I really do. And I think Paul Sewald is going to be an interesting arm out of that bullpen. Paul Sewald has been an interesting arm in this organization for a while. This is a guy that easily could have been picked up a year ago in the Rule 5 draft, uh, and he had great minor league numbers. And our friend Michael Mayer from Metsmerized Online, he's been on your show, I've had him on. We were talking about him when he was in AA, AAA, and I saw the, the, the K rate, and I'm like, something's not right. Why is, they, why is he not on the 40-man roster? It makes you wonder, is it just inflated because minor league numbers? And then he came up last year, and he was more of a guy against righties. Mm-hmm. Terry Collins let him out, let him take a beating on a couple outings that I think inflated his ERA and his numbers. But he's the kind of guy, when Callaway talked about the Andrew Miller type going multiple innings, he's shown that ability to do that. And today, I know it was a 9-2 game. The fact that he got out of that first, second, and third no-out situation, you know, it wouldn't have mattered giving up a run or two there, but it showed a lot. You know, it he's did. a guy, and he was able to save this bullpen a couple times with multi-inning uh, performances. I think he's going to be a big part of that bullpen. The other flip side is to that is I really don't think the Matt Harvey situation is going to work out in the bullpen. I don't think it's the bullpen or the starting rotation that's the issue. He had thoracic outlet syndrome. Forget about Harvey's arrogance, Harvey's guts, Harvey's toughness. There is questions on a lot of those things. Th- go to the list of pitchers who have had thoracic outlet syndrome. The guy on Friday, Clayton Richard, was one of those guys. Um, doesn't pitch the same anymore. He's a no, location he guy. Yeah. He's a guy that has to be pinpoint control. I don't know of Harvey, who right today, if, I, if I'm correct on the scoreboard, is a five-mile-an-hour difference between the fastball and the change. I don't think Harvey has it. That's no. not enough. When Pedro Martinez couldn't throw 98 anymore when he came to the Mets. He could throw 92 to 93, maybe 95. But his changeup was 77, 78. His control was pinpoint, his location. Harvey doesn't have all that. And I don't know at his age, at his career arc, if that just comes like this. I and I, and I, don't I don't think it's going to happen. And I, I think this is a mop-up guy. I think this is a guy that at some point you're going to say to yourself, what are we going to do with him? He's a spot starter maybe in a doubleheader. He's a guy that uh, he's, does it, that forget the dark night. You're not going to get six innings, three runs against a good lineup out of Matt Harvey. You're not. I'm just I, sorry. I, I totally agree, and I think, you know, <sighs> these things never end well, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the Mets 
a month from now, say to Matt Harvey, we're going to send you down to the minors, and he refuses, and they'll have to DFA him. And that, I don't see that as something that is totally unlikely right now. Uh, not out of the question. And I said, and Steve Phillips talked about this, because one of the first things that came to my mind, I heard Steve Phillips talk about it on, um, on MLB Network Radio. He sent Bobby Jones down, and Bobby Jones in 2000 came back. The following year, they did the same thing with Steve Traxel. Steve Traxel came back better than before. And Phillips said that Traxel actually threw his fit when they first mentioned it to him. They had just signed him as a free agent. It was actually, it was interestingly enough, the story he gave us is he went home and he was ticked off. And his wife was like, what are you ticked off about? You're bad. <laughs> and it was like almost his wife convincing him, say, hey, you better start to recalibrate what you're talking about. Went down to AAA at that time, Norfolk Tides. See, here with, with the Mets, and they won't have this corrected until next year, going to Vegas, I don't think it's going to help anybody. It's the Pacific Coast League. Uh, I don't think you're going to get a true read. And I know everything is about process. I think you need to go down there, be in an environment, if you're Matt Harvey, where the results matter, but the stress isn't there. And maybe the confidence comes back. Just an environment. Wins and losses don't matter, really, for the Las Vegas 51s. No, they don't. They don't. I mean, I know that the Las Vegas 51s fan base probably cares, but I, I personally, uh, up here in New York, we don't. I re- it was always funny. I remember going down to Binghamton in 2008 to watch a ball game, and the fans, they were rooting against the Mets because they were mad because the Mets had brought up Daniel Murphy. They needed him for the, the stretch drive in the right. Eastern League and stuff like that. So the fans there uh, look is, at it a little differently. It is, and I, and I think that one of the things that you know the Mets have to figure out is you know, when Matt Harvey, and, and listen, I, I try to be understanding because he's gone through a multitude of surgeries, but he would have been much better off doing what he did the second time, second game he pitched, in which he talked to the media and reserved no comment for the questions he didn't want to answer, rather than just blowing them off and then the next day getting very terse about it. That's not going to help you. And believe me, I'm no guy that stands, and I'm always the guy that stands behind the player when it comes to the media, but you're not going to win with the media and just face it, spend five minutes, and say you no comments if you want, but there's no reason to get terse about it. I think, he, and I don't know if part of Boris's uh, enterprise there is media trading, I'm sure it is. I would just, and I sit there and I, and I think how I would handle it. Easy for me to sit there and look at it, but there's a lot of silly questions. I mean, just... Forget the questions that you you experience post game uh, in the Met locker room or the Yankee locker room. If you're covering uh, the Yankees, uh, the NBA playoffs, that podium, I'm just sitting there going, "Oh my god!" And some of them are from foreign correspondents that you know are just doing their job out there. But uh, if you think it's a silly question or if it's something that's repetitious, just look at the report and say, "You know, I don't know, man. You know, like I've said this. You know, what do you want me to say? Like, if he's out of answers, just say, "I don't know." I know that that's humbling. I don't know. I mean. It's pretty simple. He throws 92 to 94 miles an hour max, even in the bullpen coming in for one inning. And his changeup is about five miles an hour difference. He has no bite on his slider. He has no movement on his fastball. What, forget the name. Forget the name on the chest or the back. Uh, not the chest, but the back. Who's, who's going to throw a 92-mile-an-hour straight fastball with, and a, a slider with no bite and a changeup with five-mile-an-hour difference and be effective? Nobody. Either. Nobody. Neil Ramirez last year, the guy who threw a thousand miles an hour, he couldn't locate, couldn't get things done. He was out of here pretty quick. Uh, you can't, you can't compete that way on the mound. It doesn't matter who you are. And the concerning thing is, is that the bullpen stint two things. One, uh, you haven't seen an uptick in velocity, so it tells you that physically he can't do it. Two, he said on Friday, "Well, I wasn't really prepared 
to come in on such short notice. Well, th- dude, that's the bullpen. Yeah. Now I will throw it on Callaway and say, okay, are you guys, you know, Island and Callaway, and I, I have confidence that they are. How are you kind of? I'm going to use the word training him on this because maybe that's part of it. Now, he is an adult. He is a big leaguer that's been in this league six or seven years. It's kind of his job to figure it out. But think back. It's not easy. Think back to 1990 when Ron Darling and Bobby Ojeda were doing that flip-flop. Yeah. It wasn't easy for them. They weren't happy having to do it. Nobody's happy about going to the bullpen when you've been not only a starter. You were the starter in the All-Star game. You were up there in the first 40, 50 starts of your career with Seaver, with Gooden, with guys who were the Pantheon. Now you're, you know, maybe going to become a setup guy, maybe, if you perform. And it's a, it's a big difference. I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think at this point there's anything that tells me that Matt Harvey's physically able to, forget mentally, physically able to overcome this. And I don't think the mental part, he's even wrapped his head around. So forget about it. If you have those two, you have the, uh, a recipe for disaster. You really do. And, and I think that the Mets are going to need at some point to move on from Matt Harvey. And that's a tough one because, as you right. said, he – he was the dark night, and now he's just a dark cloud. And I think that, you know, one of the things that as a manager and a general manager you have to worry about, Mike, is you don't want his bravado and his, well, I'm a starting pitcher. And then you got people like Brandon Nimmo and Juan Lagares who aren't getting a lot of playing time because there just isn't enough playing time for them and performing at a high level. And you got this guy saying, well, I'm a starting pitcher. Uh, none of the Mets that I know of have said anything, even off the record to me, about Matt Harvey saying that. But I will say this, that inwardly they have to would have to be inhuman not to feel like, well, where's this guy coming from? We got guys on this team that are performing well and can't get playing time. And I think that, you know, it would be like if Jose Reyes came out and said it right now. Jose Reyes hasn't said anything like like remotely that. Even Adrian Gonzalez, uh, I'm sure he wasn't happy that he sat Friday and Saturday. But that's his role now. And today he performs. And he comes in. And he's accepted where he is at this point in his career. Now, a lot easier to do that when you're going to make your $23-plus billion. You know, whatever you do here uh, doesn't matter. But listen, that's a prideful guy. That was a guy who was... The best first baseman in baseball at some point. Yep. You know, was involved in a in a big trade. Was a big acquisition for the Red Sox. A big story when he got traded to the Dodgers with Beckett um, and, and guys like that. So, uh, you know, this whole team. And I said this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. And Brandon Nimmo kind of epitomizes that. They go out there, they accept their role. Think about what Mickey Callaway said when they sent Brandon Nimmo down because of the shuttle, because he had options to bring up an arm. He's never had a player take it so well. And basically, Nimmo says, well, you know, I can't worry about what I can't control. He can't control that. All he can control is his at-bat when he's in. And that's where I think when you go back to your dialogue with Matty Holt or anybody when to talk about this team, if this team continues under Mickey Callaway, under Dave Allen, just focus on the process. Focus on what they can control. It's not always going to look pretty. It's not always going to be easy. But I think when the, the everything, the sauce comes out, I think they'll be okay shape. Again, they, nothing has shown after the first month that they're not a 90-92 to 92 win team that could compete for a playoff spot. Is that enough to win the division? I don't know yet. So far, it looks like the win total is coming down a little bit. We'll see if the Braves and Phillies can keep up at their pace. Absolutely. And if you want to talk about it, the phone number to call is 631-955-5400. That's 631-955-5400. And, you know, we're going to probably talk more about the Yankees in the 9.30 half hour. And things I've been hearing from Yankee fans that, 
I had to like put a Q-tip in my ear to see if like my ears were waxed up when I heard this one. That they actually think D.D. Gregorius is better than Derek Jeter. I've heard it from six different Yankee fans. And listen, D.D.'s having a great season, a great start to the season. He's a great guy. He's a five-tool player. I think he could be a leader on the team. But let's just simmer down on the A little over-indexed. Like, I'm looking at Gregorius' numbers right now. Uh, and listen, this has been a great move by Brian Cashman. Like, kudos to him for seeing a guy who, when he acquired him, was already 25 years old. So he wasn't really young, like 22, 23 years old. Has morphed into a player that has better di- plate discipline, certainly has power. But, I mean, hitting with a, an OPS of 1.251, an OPS plus of 230. OPS plus of 230 is Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds. He's not going to continue at that pace if he does. And, look, I've had a lot of questions about Aaron Judge. You know, a lot of questions about Aaron Judge. But, you know, we'll talk more about that at, uh, at 930. I know we're going to get into the Yankees then. Definitely. We'll talk more about the Yankees then. But right at the 9 o'clock hour, we're going to talk the NFL draft. Dennis Wasik of... The AP will be calling us. He'll talk about the Jets and the Giants and their picks, whether their picks were good, whether they weren't, where these teams stand, where the needs still are for these teams. And in the 9.30 half hour, we'll talk more about the Yankees and the Pope, Mike Francesa, as well as the real Pope, LeBron James, who put his team over the top in Game 7 today. We'll have more right after this not necessarily reflect the views of WLIE Radio, its management, or its sponsors. For questions and comments, please send us an email at wlie540amradio at aol.com or visit us at wlie540am.com. Cap off a weekend of watching sports by talking about it with Mark Rosenman and AJ Carter on Sports Talk New York. All the intelligent conversation, insightful interviews, and just plain fun are now right here on WLIE 5:40 a.m. from 7 to 8:30 Sunday nights. Visit their website www.sportstalknylive.com for previews of upcoming guests. Visit their Facebook page to win prizes. That's Sports Talk New York Sunday nights from 7 to 8:30 on WLIE 5:40 a.m. This is Higher Ground with Pastor Gary Grant and First Lady Grant inviting you to tune in with us on WLIE 540 AM and online at WLIE540AM.com every Saturday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. as we expound the gospel of grace. We're also here to pray for you. Remember, God is still blessing in this season. Allison is perfect. I mean, she'd never tell you that. She's perfect. Allison, wait. Are you texting and driving? Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Download our free WLIE 540 AM app and get all the information you need right on your smartphone. Find our app at WLIE540AM.com or visit the App Store right from your phone. Our way of saying thanks for listening to WLIE 540 AM. You're listening to WLIE 540 AM, Islip, New York, a part of Universal Stations, LLC. The views, opinions, and statements expressed in the following program reflect the views of program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views of WLIE Radio, its management, or its sponsors. For questions and comments, please send us an email at WLIE540AMRadio at AOL.com or visit us at WLIE540AM.com. 
We are back on New York Sports Wrap. Rich Catina along with Mike Silva subbing in for Justin Walters. Um, we gave the baseball scores. want to make sure you're up to date on the NBA scores that occurred today. And, you know, one of the funny things about, about the, the NBA is that the Cleveland Cavaliers won today. And I want to give LeBron James all the credit, 45-point performance. But I, I think it would be important to give an assist to the officials today because there was no way they were going to let the Indiana Pacers get to the free throw line when they needed to. Forget fouls, muggings in the area, all kinds of things. Cavaliers win it 105-101. to 101. They win the series four games to three. The Eastern Conference is now set, and I think it's two pretty good series. The Sixers will play the Celtics. It reminds me of the old days of Julius Irving and Larry Bird. And Cleveland will play Toronto. Toronto is the team I picked to come out of the East, and I still think they will. Um, Houston beat Utah 110-96. to Rockets lead that series one game to none. And, of course, New Orleans-Golden State is the other half of that matchup. In the NHL, the Washington Capitals finally won a game where they were leading. They won it 4-1 to over the Penguins. That series now tied at one apiece. Predators and the Jets tonight. It is nothing Predators late first. The Jets lead that series one game to none. And, of course, the NHL also is going to have the San Jose-Vegas is tied at one. That's a super series between two really good teams and Boston and Tampa with the Bruins up one game to none. Um, we have Dennis Wasik on the phone from the AP. We want to talk about the NFL draft. And, Dennis, the first question I have for you is how much sleep have you gotten in the last week? Rich, is the draft still going on? <laughs> I, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. It really, you know what? It really does. Now, now we're finally going to be able to get a, a couple hours at least. That's good. And the phone number, if you want to talk NFL Draft, is 631-955-5400. 631-955-5400. And, Dennis, you know, Mike Silva and I, the first question we have for you is, you heard my mock draft last week, and I assured Giant fans that they were going to take the running back, and I think they did the absolute correct thing because I think he is a game-changing guy that will help the Giants. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean – you know, when you, I think what rubs some people the wrong way is that Gettleman kind of, you know, shoot away questions about whether there were, you know, he was listening to possible trade talk. You know, he, he said he knew this was the kid he wanted, this was the guy he wanted. Um, the, the offers weren't anything other than, you know, whatever he said, a bag of donuts and this and that. But you know what? If you look at this, they're committed to Eli. They they are. They are clearly committed to Eli Manning, you know, to be their quarterback for this year, probably next year. So that means there's still that small window there of a year or two where they still believe they're a playoff team that can do some damage. And now you add that type of running back who's a do-it-all type guy, a game-changing type of presence out of the backfield, and you pair him up on that offense with Eli Manning, I mean, that's, that's what they've needed. They, they've needed a running back for, for how long, Richard Mike? I mean, you haven't seen a guy like this in a long time. Maybe, you know, Ahmad Bradshaw might have been the, the last guy who, you know, was a pretty good, consistent type running back. And now when you put this ultra-talented running back there, I mean, it's, it's almost kind of a no-brainer. If they were, in fact, not going to move on from Eli Manning, you could say this also. Well, you know, how, what if he isn't, good this year or you know the following season 
Well, every year we see quarterbacks rise to the top of the draft class and the, the draft crop. So, you know, there will be options. And if the Giants struggle this year, you know, they, they will be in a position to get a decent quarterback in the first round. Dennis Wazek on Twitter, at DWaz73, if you guys want to follow him, great follow. Uh, Dennis, I think what's agitating a lot of the New York media because of the fact that the Giants didn't take a quarterback is there's a disconnect. Dave Gettleman doesn't come across to me as a GM that's rebuilding. He's retooling the roster, but he's not rebuilding. I think they wanted to rebuild because the Giants were so awful. They had the number two pick in the draft. I mean, they still have Odell Beckham. They still have uh, uh, Eli Manning, whether you like him. I know a lot of this always talk about how good he is. Guy's got a couple of Super Bowls. Now you have a running back that probably won't have the same hard transition into the pro game that a Darnold will have. Um, You know, to me, this also talks about uh, Davis Webb and the kid from Richmond they, they drafted. Maybe he likes Davis Webb. Uh, there's not a lot of talk about that. They're not going to commit to anything. They're not going to gush over him. But nobody's talking about the fact that maybe they don't think they needed a quarterback. Yeah, yeah, and that's an excellent point, Mike. I mean, that that's that's kind of the you know unspoken thing here. Maybe you know they saw some things last year, and, and it, you know it, this is a different staff. Obviously, this is a different group of people, but. You know, they, a lot of these guys, they, they saw film. They've seen film. You know, they, they were parts of other staffs that were scouting players. They know what Davis Webb, you know, was in college and the potential. So, you know, maybe they, maybe they see something. And maybe also with these quarterbacks here where in this draft, they didn't think that it was as big a priority at this point in time for this franchise to get a quarterback who maybe they kind of measured, you know, in their analysis, um, somewhat close. You know, all four guys that, that everyone was talking about, and they, there wasn't an overwhelming, uh, you know, unanimous guy for them. So they thought, you know what, we're going to get what we think is the best player in this draft, and we're going to put him on this offense, and then – we're going to get a quarterback in the later rounds who, you know, we think is pretty good, and he's like that next tier of guys, Kyle Loretta, and, you know, we'll see. You know, maybe Davis Webb will show something. But clearly, Mike, like you said, this this is not a rebuild. This is not what the Jets have kind of been doing. Like the Giants still believe, I think, that they have pieces in place to, to get to the playoffs and, you know, this year. I think they do, and you know the other thing, Dennis. When we talk about the following pick, the Jets taking Sam Darnold with the third pick, the USC quarterback, and you know it's funny because once I'm watching the drafts, and you know I wanted Baker Mayfield for the Jets, so when that pick went, I said, okay, it's going to come down to Darnold or Allen as the quarterback. I I really thought Rosen was going to go out of the top ten. I said it last week, and he almost did. He almost yeah. made it right out of the top ten, if not for the Cardinal trade, but um. One of my feelings on Darnold is he's a little mechanical in the way he quarterbacks. And that could play well in the NFL if you're with the right offensive game plan. But I think he needs to polish that a little bit. And I think that contributed to the turnovers that he had. He sometimes holds on to the ball a little too long. I know when I say that, Jet fans are going to get Ken O'Brien nightmares when I say that. (laughs) But I do think that he has skill. I do think he's led a team. That Rose Bowl a couple years ago was such an impressive performance by him as a young quarterback. Um, To me, Allen and Darnold were close. Which one would you have taken? I I would have taken Darnold. I think they made made the right call at that point. 
Um, when we spoke last week, we were both talking about how you know, Baker Mayfield is the guy. You know, this is a guy who, yeah, for all of the the negative things that you've heard, there are a lot of positives that could really you know, jumpstart and you know give this this team and the fan base a boost. And you know what, Rich, I think maybe I was wrong with that in terms of this franchise needing a quarterback with that type of swagger and energy. Because what I saw from Sam Darnold was it kind of it, it was like you know what this is this is a guy who might be able to succeed here regardless of what the you know the, the stuff on the field like obviously that will play the the role and that will play the the decision um you know in in all of this but i think he has the type of personality that will be able to handle the pressure of playing in new york and playing for a franchise that hasn't been to a super bowl in almost 50 years you know 50 seasons mm-hmm. basically and I like that demeanor. I like his quiet confidence. I like the fact that he knows what he's getting into. He's played in a big market. I mean, let's face it. You know, USC has, has been a, a pro team in Southern California for, you know, for forever. You know, so he he knows what it is. His family's very grounded, I think. And um, I, I think now seeing him in person, I, I kind of think that approach will play well here. And. You know, I, I, I got to give it to the kid, too. Yesterday, uh, you know, you hear you know, the last the rounds of the draft are going on, and this guy's at a hospital, a pediatric hospital, just signing autographs, surprising some kids. There was one Jet fan who he, he was going there to meet to help make the, the fourth-round pick, and, and he, they didn't want any cameras there, TV, and, and all of that, so it was kind of kept on the down low. Um, AP had a photographer there, and it was just, you know, just to see him there, and the fans went bananas over it. That, I mean, that that's a kid that you're like, okay, you know what? Two days after he got drafted, he's already doing the right thing. You know what, though, guys? Next Friday, that's when it really starts, when he hits the field for the right. first time for rookie camp. And, you know, when I heard him speak, and and I don't want to do any disservice to these two guys, but... I found him to be a combination of Eli Manning and David Wright in a lot of the ways he answered questions. The ways he answers questions, the way he um, talked about Todd Bowles, I just found some maturity there. And obviously, it, you know, we haven't had a lot of exposure to him right. in that vein. I did watch some press conferences that he had as a USC quarterback mm-hmm. after some bad performances he's had, mm-hmm. and he seemed the same person to me. He didn't yeah. seem different at all. So you got a better look at it than I did, but I, I got a good feeling that that part of it he's going to be able to handle. Now, as far as the rest of the Jets draft, um, the one that I really – the pick that I loved, absolutely loved, was Chris Herndon. I've watched Chris Herndon a heck of a lot in college. He's a big guy that gets yards after the catch. I don't know much about his ability to block at the tight end level, but to me – Potentially, the Jets got a big-time playmaker in Chris Herndon. Yeah, I mean that's a fourth-round guy who was projected uh, earlier in the, the college season to go higher, maybe a second round or early third. Uh, hurt his knee, uh, ended the season, uh, you know, out with an MCL injury. He's about a month away from getting on the field or so, so it, you know he probably won't be out there uh, practicing full speed with the team until probably training camp. 
but still, this is a guy like you said, Rich. He's six four. He's two fifty. Um, last year, he led Miami in with forty catches, four hundred seventy seven yards. I think four touchdowns. So he could catch the ball, you know. So I think you lost. If you're the Jets, you lost Austin Safarian Jenkins, a guy who is mainly a pass-catching tight end, and you bring this guy in who's younger. He's He projects to be uh, a pretty good pass-catching tight end. And you know what? You look at the scouting reports, and he uh, is a decent blocker. He was a decent blocker in college. He said he doesn't mind blocking. Um, I, I don't think he's known as a great blocker, but you know these coaches, they get these type of players in, and they know that, okay, the kid can catch. Now let's try to get him, you know, on the line. Do try to get his hand in the dirt. Let's see what he could do. Um, the Jets have a couple of guys who can be blockers, though. Eric Tomlinson is that guy. Um, you know, they they have some some guys who could serve as blockers in, in the passing game and have this guy be something for for Sam Darnold for the next few years to come. You know, so I yeah, I think that that was a really good uh, bargain pick for the Jets in the fourth round getting him. Dennis Wazak of the AP. You can check him out on Twitter at dwaz73. Uh, Jets beat reporter for well over a decade. Dennis, uh, you know history. You can learn a lot from. There was another USC quarterback in 2009 <laughs> that the Jets uh, bet a lot on. Now, not fair to Darnold because that's a different coaching regime. That was a different time. That was a team more built to win now. But. Can you look back and can they look at what they – and I know that Sanchez has already been interviewed about this. Can they look back about how they handled Sanchez? Rex Ryan wasn't a great offensive coach. It looks, but Developing quarterbacks wasn't his forte. What can they do different here with Darnold? The expectations are going to be there, but let's face it, you know, there's going to be some rough days. He might not even start week one. I mean, Josh McCown is still there. So um, if you had to look back at what they did with Sanchez, is there any parallels? Is there anything the Jets could learn from that situation and not repeat with uh, what really, listen, you wrote about this at the AP. If this is a a bad pick, if this doesn't work out, this is going to set them back a long time. They put a lot of stake in this pick, in this quarterback. Sure, and I think that's why they really had to be sure. And I think he, he truly was their top guy at the top of their depth chart in terms of uh, the draft chart in terms of quarterbacks. I think a lot of that has to do with the kids' mental makeup. And I think Darnold uh, is, is just like I was saying before, kind of he fits here in that sense. Now, one of the things, if, if you think back to when Sanchez was here, I think the Jets had, uh, they had Kellen Clemens and they had a kid named Brett Ratliff um, I, I'm pretty sure that's, that those were the quarterbacks in camp at the time, and it was just one of those things where it was like, well, you know, we need somebody. We need a boost. We need something here. So when, when they drafted Sanchez, there really was no doubt that he was going to be the starter. Unless he completely he was completely terrible in training camp, he would be the starting quarterback for this team uh, as a rookie week one. That expectation, I th- it's not there for Sam Darnold. I think there's certainly hope that that could happen in week one, that they, you know, trot out Sam Darnold week one, you know, and uh, Monday Night Football against Detroit, you know, but I don't think that it's a necessity. I don't think they are uh, desperate for that to happen, and that's because Josh McCown is here. And you know what? And just in the little I saw Sam Darnold, the approach to the game, it's it's sort of kind of like, 
Josh McCown's approach. You know, just a humble guy, a smart guy, a guy who is even keeled. And I think if anybody is you know on a team as a veteran guy mentoring a young quarterback, I mean, this is this is a perfect situation because you know Josh McCown knows the system, he knows the team, he knows the coaches, and he won't be here much longer. So you know, like, hey, we have a little bit of a cushion with a guy that we're confident could lead this offense, and Josh McCown is okay with playing that role as the mentor and just kind of the stopgap in trying to groom this guy. Because let's face it, you know what? Josh McCown, two, three years from now, he will be in the NFL, but as a coach. And I think this is, this is a great opportunity for him to kind of impart all the knowledge that he's learned over 15 years playing in this league. Um, and, and I think what's going to happen is it's, it'll come down to Darnold and McCown in, in the offseason. I mean, they also have Bridgewater as well, but, you know, he's still coming off that injury. We'll see what happens there. I think that those two guys, though, one of those two will be the starter. And it'll probably be McCown, but I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, six, seven games into the season, Sam Darnold is the guy. And talk a little bit about one other pick the Jets made, which it's their final pick of the draft, and I watched a little of him in Virginia State. Trenton Cannon, Canyon, the running back, and I don't know. I don't know about you how you feel about this, Dennis, but what I saw of him, I think he can fit very well into the Jets' offensive game plan, and that he is another one of those kind of change of pace backs, which the Jets look like they're going to have two or three running backs sharing the load. But I'm not convinced Trenton, Trenton Cannon won't be one of them. Yeah, I, I know that they. I, I'll, I'll you know preface this by saying that was the one pick I said. Oh, you know, let me look at this guy because I had never really, you know, in all honesty, seen the guy play. And you see his highlights, and the guy is fast, and he's athletic, and he could return kicks and punts, and that's what they're going to use him for. In fact. Uh, the, the Jets sent uh, Brant Boyer, the special teams coordinator, down for a private workout with him, and he loved the guy. And if you've seen the Jets' special teams over the last couple of years, one thing they've lacked is that explosive presence in the return game. They haven't had a consistent returner for years now. So this is a guy who he's 5'11", 185, he's strong, he's fast, he's athletic. I think that's the one guy that, if I'm a Jets fan, that guy excites me because, like you said, not only can he help the, the special teams in the return game, but you might throw him in the backfield and have him, you know, take a short pass and try to, you know, a guy like uh, Tariq Cohen with uh, Chicago. That's right. kind of what they did. And all of a sudden he came out of nowhere and it was like, whoa, this guy is, you know, this guy is something. So I think that's the thing. I, I think there's a little bit of a log jam in terms of carries, you know, with Bilal Powell, uh, Isaiah Crowell. Uh, they also have Thomas Rawls and Elijah McGuire. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But I think this kid will stick, and he'll have a role for as long as the NFL keeps the, the kick and punt returns in the game. Dennis, uh, it sounds like that's one of the picks that you know you would, you would not many people are talking about on the Jets' side, and they should be talking a little bit more about. On the Giants' side, give me a player or two that is not getting the pub because obviously Barkley's going to be the guy that everyone's going to talk about. But the Giants had an interesting draft and something, a really solid draft. Uh, what are some of the other names that fans should be looking at and talking about as they, uh, as, as they look back now and wrap up the last few days? I mean, I, I didn't 
really follow closely because I was so embedded with the uh, Jets, but I like the idea that they went after the quarterback from from uh, Richmond. I I like that they have another guy in there who's young, you know, that they can uh, develop and have potentially somebody in the pipeline with Davis Webb, with uh, Kyle Oletta. But you know what? I, I think uh, Lorenzo Carter, the guy that they had uh, um, in, in the later rounds, it might have been a third or fourth round. I, I think that. That pick was pretty good. That's a linebacker. Um, oh, I, this is this pick has also gotten some some uh, you know talk, but in round two, getting Will Hernandez was tremendous. You know for for this team, and uh, I know Gettleman uh, loved that pick. That the fact that this guy was still there in, in the second round, I think that's that's a big time pick. I mean, if you look at all these picks, you know the defensive tackle B.J. Hill that they got and. Got another defensive lineman, uh, McIntosh. I think the Giants had a really solid pick with uh, uh, draft with picks who could really help the roster. Uh, like right now, a lot of these guys will probably be able to play for this team now and and play some roles, even if it's special teams. So I, I think in general, people have uh, kind of praised what the uh, Giants have done. As as long as you get past the fact that. They didn't get the quarterback if that's what you wanted them to do, but they got this guy who could very well be, you know, an offensive rookie of the year candidate. Well, Saquon Barkley. While we're talking about quarterbacks, uh, I can't talk about the draft without the comments from Josh Rosen. And <laughs> you know, I wish I wish that I can give my services to some of these young players and kind of teach them what they're going to hear from the media, but. He kind of just exploded and said, nine teams are going to know their mistake. <laughs> and what I would have told him, I would have said to him, your first comment should be, I want to thank the Arizona Cardinals for trading picks and moving up to get me. It shows a lot of confidence in me. This guy is going to have a problem. I, even though you know people say Arizona is not as tough in the media as New York, the NFL is the NFL. And, no uh, and after the game, you're going to get tough questions from everyone because – you know, the ESPN analysts of the world, they travel all over the country. They don't concentrate on New York, Chicago, and, and New England. They go all over the country. And this guy's going to have to learn. And I can see it now, Dennis, the first time he throws a ball and maybe it goes off Larry Fitzgerald's hands into a defensive back's hands, he's going to say, well, you know, Fitzgerald should have had his, he had his hand on the ball, should have caught it. I could see it coming from a mile away. And I, I this guy... This guy's got to go to some charm school before he starts throwing the ball for the Arizona Cardinals. That's the thing, though, about him. I think, um, you know, this is who he is, and uh, take it or leave it, and that's how he approaches it, you know. And I think um, the more I heard from all four of the guys, meaning Rosen and, and Allen and Mayfield and Darnold, Rosen was the one who kind of scared me in terms of the off-the-field attitude, you know, and it just – He's already had the questions about does he love the game? Is this what he wants to do? But you know this this just defiant type approach. You just see, you just it invokes memories of guys who were like that. Guys like Ryan Leaf, you know, who struggled. He was like a great college player and number one pick, and then you know that kind of thing. And he just he couldn't get his his uh, attitude and temper in check. And I think Rosen is is just extremely confident i think he's extremely athletic and and gifted and he, he should be a good pro but 
you worry about those days, like you said, Rich, when he doesn't have a good game or the guys around him don't have good games. Um, I, I think, yeah, uh, he's playing in Arizona, but yeah, like you said, there are there's media everywhere now, and there's Twitter, and there's everything. You know, so everything is put under a microscope. Every move that a player, you know, makes and. Man, having that guy as as the leader of the franchise, that really would get me, you know, make me worried. And and I think that's why a guy like Darnold plays better in this media, uh, you know, in in this in this type of area where it's such a large amount of people covering the teams, whether it's the Jets or Giants. Um, so, but yeah, I, I I can't I can't imagine that that day when he just kind of goes off and you know it just. Well, you know, he's a young kid. He's going to have to learn. But you know what? If you're a team, you don't want to have to deal with that. You know, you want to have to deal with what's on the field. So we'll see. We'll see with him. It's, it's, it'll be an interesting uh, thing. Maybe Arizona will be a good place for him. But, you know, boy, they struggle at all. You'll, you'll hear about it. Uh, Dennis, last one from me. You know, as big as of a draft this was for the Jets and being right on Darnold, it was that much and that more for the Browns. Total second guess, and who, they obviously didn't know how things would have developed, but they could have taken the running back, number one, Barkley, and still might have been able to get Darnold by the time it got down to four. Yeah. Uh, I wonder what the Jets would have done if Baker Mayfield was out there. But it's interesting, you know, total second guess, but for the Browns, did they jump a little quick at the quarterback? Maybe they should have taken the running back and then just hung back a little. Obviously, they probably didn't know how the Giants were going to go. Right. Uh, but i got to think there was some buzz on the street about this stuff. So give me a little bit about the Browns, because I know it's not a New York theme, but to me it's fascinating, because if this blows up for them, I mean, geez, could you imagine being a fan of that team after not oh. winning a game? I mean, and this the two top five picks blow up in your face if the, yeah. it's the wrong ones? Yeah, that that's the thing. you got to feel for Browns fans. You know, if you're you're a Jets fan who hasn't, you know, been to the Super Bowl and, you know, two generations or, or whatever it is, you know, at this point, and it's just, you look at the draft and you thought, okay, you, you were hearing Darnold for a long time. And then you heard Josh Allen buzz. And then all of a sudden, like two days before the draft, there was Baker Mayfield buzz and like, wow, that's interesting. You know, this is, this is a guy who's really talented. You know, he's, he's got some, uh, he's had some off the field issues also. Um, he's, he's very opinionated. Uh, I think he's a little different from Rosen. There, there was something that he, he doesn't, as just from a casual observer, doesn't rub me uh, the wrong way or as badly as Rosen does. You know, that just the way he carries himself. I think he's been humbled a little bit, uh, because of some of the things that have happened. But the number one pick, I mean, that, that's, that's a gamble, you know, because He's a guy who needs uh, certain things around him, I think. Uh, but you know what? The Browns have, have done a good job putting some guys there on that team with Landry, and you know, and they still have have the the other guy, uh, the other receiver uh, um, who just came back uh, last year. Uh, you know, I, I think you know we'll see with that pick. The, the one I was surprised about was number four because I thought, okay, they'll get a quarterback whoever it may be, and in this case Mayfield, and at four, they'll take Chubb. And now they have, you know, two guys on the defensive ends there after taking the guy from last year, having two ends there, and 
having your quarterback of the future. Instead, they went with Denzel Ward from Ohio State, a cornerback, and I think that was what kind of set some Browns fans off. You know, so now you've got kind of a wild card at number one in Mayfield, and then a cornerback who's got to be an elite shutdown guy for that number four pick. Uh, you know, to to be a success. You know, so yeah, there's a lot riding on those picks. I was in, I was I was kind of uh, intrigued by those two selections. So, I mean, they, they better keep their fingers crossed. But you know what? John Dorsey, he's got a good history. He's mm-hmm. a smart guy. He's a good front office guy. So we'll see. But, you know, you gotta you got to feel for the Browns fans because there's still a lot of uncertainty there. There really is. And, and Dennis, I, we could talk about this draft all night, unfortunately. <laughs> we, we got in the 9.30, a half hour, listening because we're going to talk about uh, the Pope, Mike Francesa, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also going to talk about the NBA and the NHL as well as the Yankees. And Dennis, uh, great last two weeks you've been on the show. You've brought a lot to the table. I really appreciate it. And uh, you are a regular guest on this show from here on in, that's for sure. Thanks for Sounds the time, good. buddy. Hey, you got it, Rich and Mike. Take care, man. Take care, Dennis. Always a good listen, Dennis. Uh, Dennis had him on always, a number of times. Always, uh, always does good. great work at the AP. And, and a lot of fascinating storylines coming out of this. But I think the biggest one is the disc. And I always say this, the disconnect between the media and the front office. And Dave Gettleman does not care what the media thinks, doesn't care that Mike Lupica doesn't like the pick. And here's the thing, you know, the reason why they're there and you and I are here, Mm -hmm. there is a reason. And we could have opinions and we could think we know, but we're not in the NFL front office. And to me, to to say with absolute that the Giants made a mistake, it's a very foolish take. And I saw a lot of those takes throughout yeah. uh, the last couple of uh, days. And, and, and you know what? It goes back to the whole tanking thing. It's The Giants were bad not because they were purposefully tanking. They just got bad because they didn't have an offensive line. And things just went south. And when things went south, it spiraled out. Uh, they don't believe they're rebuilding. They want to get whatever they can get out of the last years at Eli, and maybe they can get something out of the quarterbacks they have now. Uh, who knows? And uh, and kind of rebuild on the fly. They have an elite wide receiver. They now have an elite running back, and it's a lot easier to transition a running back from high, uh, college into the NFL than a quarterback. I mean, Donald's going to take a couple of years unless he's special. Maybe he's special in week eight, Rich. You're here, sitting here later this year, week eight, talking about I can't believe that the Jets finally got it right for the first time in 30, 40 years. Well, uh, you know, that's a little unfair to do. And I talked about this on ESPN this week. A little unfair. You know, I hear people say, well, the Jets haven't had a quarterback since Joe Namath. Kenny and, O'Brien was pretty good. Well, and Vinny Testaverde was good for a couple of years. Let, let's back it up for and a minute. And Chad Pennington wasn't Ken, bad either. Ken O'Brien was a Pro Bowl quarterback. Right. He made the Pro Bowl. He gets overlooked. Ken O'Brien handled Dan Marino as much as Dan Marino handled him. And Ken O'Brien was not afraid of getting hit before he threw a ball. And, you know, Chad Pennington was an underrated quarterback. Very those those Jets line. teams were just a little bit short in that sense. Uh, but, I mean, there's a, I mean, Chad Pennington beat the tar out of Peyton Manning in a home playoff game. People forget about, forget about that, right? And and I'll even throw into the mix Vinny Testaverde. You know, Curtis Martin had, had a lot to do with a lot of that, but still. you know. Vinny Testaverde had a great season with Career the Career year. When he was, uh, Bill Parcells was the coach and might yep. have had another one if he didn't get hurt. So, you know, I I love Jet fans, but their they're always me thing. Gets old. Because with the Jets, if you look at the Jets in the last, say, 20 years, they probably made the playoffs close to double digits, maybe eight, nine times in those right. 20 years. And have the Browns done that? Have the Lions done that? 
Have the Bengals done it that? It goes back to everybody wants to have the Patriots run. Everybody wants to have a Yankees run, a Red Sox run. And, geez, there's no doubt, as a Mets fan, I'd love to have that. Uh, the Jets would love to have, even what the Giants have done. But, you know, those are, you know, sometimes you got to look and say, what are the experiences that they've had? They've had some good playoff runs. Um, they've had some really good coaches. Uh, things didn't work out with Mark Sanchez and Rex. Uh, but, you know, that was kind of lightning in a bottle. Looking back, maybe they weren't built for a long-term play there. Probably They were not. built for a two- or three-year run. Which they had. Um, which they had. And uh, things didn't work out, and things got bad, and, and, and decisions were made. And, and, and that's the way stuff goes here, you know. That well, I always say this about those Rex Ryan Jet teams. And I think Harbaugh is the only other coach that's ever done this. He beat Peyton Manning and Tom Brady in back-to-back playoff games on the road with two totally different defensive game plans. And you can talk all you want about teams that have beaten the Patriots, and the Ravens can fit into this mold. The Jets went in a Foxborough and really beat the living tar out of that Patriot team. Right. And, and I think because the next week they lose to the Steelers, who are a great team as well, I, I don't think Rex ever gets the – much like Bobby Valentine doesn't get credit for the, Met, the Mets going to back-to-back playoff Final Fours, never mind playoffs, Final Fours. Um, Rex doesn't get the credit for that. Rex had his deficiencies as a coach. There's no doubt about it. He was more of a defensive coach than an offensive coach. But I got news for you. Most NFL coaches, if not all, are experts in one area, and they rely on the coordinator on the other side of the ball to get it done. The Jet offensive coordinator was never able to get it done. Jet fans, I understand your pain that you haven't won the Super Bowl or been to the Super Bowl in half a decade, but don't think you are the worst franchise in terms of success because that's just not an accurate statement. Yankees up 2 nothing in, uh, in Anaheim. And, in mid-fifth. Uh, they're in the bottom. Mid- the mid-fifth. Um, you know, it's funny, the Yankees quietly. There hasn't been, I mean, all the fanfare throughout the offseason, and there was a little bit of, I guess, concern after they lost 3 or 4 to the Orioles and Stanton's horrible homestand and his historic strikeout rate that – you know, gets played more than what Cespedes, who's been striking out nearly as much as as Stanton. Uh, quietly, they're seventeen and nine. The Red Sox have cooled off a little bit. Yes, they have. It looks like that American League East. The Blue Jays might be sneaking in as kind of the third team, but the American League East might actually have a two team race and a really good two team race between the Red Sox and the Yankees. I think the Yankees, to me, uh, are going to score plenty of runs. Uh, I think the bullpen is going to be fine because it was, you know, even though they gave up some runs in earlier in the season, uh, uh, you know, I don't think you're going to have concerns there. Uh, it's really going to come down to them is the starting pitching. It really is. It really is. It has not been great. Tanaka, I've never been a huge Tanaka guy. I think he's uh, he's good, but I think he, he he's as liable to blow up as anybody, although he, he's pitched big in the playoffs. Uh, Severino certainly has been as good as advertised. Probably been their Matt Harvey, if you want to talk about it. Uh, but Jordan Montgomery, solid player. You know, not spectacular, but six innings, three-run guy. The real key is can Sabathia at his age continue to pitch and be almost like their Andy Pettit? And, you know, what the hell is up but, but Sonny Gray? Uh, Sonny who Gray. was the guy they, they bought mm-hmm. to come in to be that controllable young pitcher. They didn't pay for Jarrett Cole. They paid for Sonny Gray to a certain degree. And he's just been awful. And, 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 Brutal. And, and if you look, if you really look at Sonny Gray's numbers, and that's why it was surprising, and I kind of agree with Yankees fans, 
Uh, you know, and nobody knows what truly the package for uh, Jarrett Cold was. But if you look at Sonny Gray, he he was a solid pitcher, but he was coming off a bad 2016, and you had to wonder if that. And, and I know he pitched well for the Yankees when he came over, um, but he didn't pitch great in the playoffs. And you well, have and to. And they didn't use him a lot in the playoffs. They skipped him in starts. The Yankees kind of knew something was amiss. And listen, it just comes down to all the bouquets Brian Cashman got at the trading deadline. Now, my question is this. Yeah, you would have gone over the cap with this, but how does Brian Cashman not get any heat for letting Justin Verlander go to the Astros and then that being the difference in how you don't get to a World Series? And I think that it's the first time I can ever remember the Yankees worrying about money and not getting the better player. And I'll go even further. The Yankees had a chance to get Jay Bruce if they were willing to take some of the money off the um, payroll from the Mets. Bruce ends up going to the Indians now. It doesn't hurt the Yankees. They win the series. But Jay Bruce in the first two games of that series killed the Yankees. And and my point is he would have been on your team. And who knows if the Yankees would then have re-signed him in the offseason. And then maybe everything changed. And maybe the Yankees didn't sign Stanton. They kept Jay Bruce. And then maybe went out and got a U Darvish for the rotation. I, I think... The bouquets we gave Brian Cashman came very, very before they should have come. And I got some questions because in Brian Cashman's career, Mike, he has not been a great judge of pitching. CC Sabathi is really the only pitcher that worked out. Randy Johnson didn't work out. Kevin Brown didn't work out. Uh, Carl Pavano didn't work out. There's a whole bunch of pitchers. Javier that Vasquez. Ha- Javier Vasquez didn't work out. And my point is he lucked out with Sabathi because Sabathi was just a great, great pitcher at the time. But my point is, when the Yankees go to get everyday players, they usually hit the mark. But when they go to get pitchers, they usually don't. With Verlander, and when you look at the numbers in Detroit last year, and I understand Detroit was a bad team, but Verlander is hitting his mid-30s. He was still very good. But the jump he made going from Detroit to a contender, it's almost like he kicked it into that whatever juice is left. And you look at his numbers this year, he kicked it into another gear. And sometimes... That's hard to judge. That's where I'll defend Cashman. You don't know what you're going to get when someone hits mid-30s. Was he the guy with an ERA plus of 120, which is good, but I don't know what they'd have to give the Yankees. Because, look, I don't think Detroit was all of a sudden going to hand him over to the Yankees, just like Detroit didn't hand Cespedes over to the Mets. The Mets had to feel some pain by giving up Fulmer. Same thing with Jared Cole. When you get out of that mid-range team, maybe a team that's kind of good but not really competing. Detroit clearly was. Pittsburgh fell into that. And you get put into a big-time situation, all of a sudden, it's like there's like that, that next gear that comes into play. Sonny Gray came expensive, but maybe he was younger. Maybe they felt that that gear would have came in for him, and it, it hasn't so far. Maybe, but I'll go to the same route a few years back when the Yankees decided to let Curtis Granderson go to the Mets, and they decided, signing Beltran, which I think was fine, but they decide that Jacoby Ellsbury is going to be one of their core players. That was one of the worst, and I have to wonder how much ownership had that. The, everybody treated Ellsbury like he was Carlos Beltran in his prime in 2004. Carlos, El, Ellsbury never was that player. Ellsbury always was a league average to below league average hitter, decent defense. He was a component player, best sales job that Scott Boris may have ever done was with Jacoby Ellsbury. I never felt that was a good contract, and they're paying for it. And you know what? If they fall short this year, it's possible that the lack of investment, because they want to reboot the tax, 
the lack of investment because of that contract will come into play. And that was when they signed McCann, they signed Ellsbury, and they had so many holes at that point, and they had the need to show the fans, and this is where winning the offseason is always problematic, to show the fans that they were going to do something to pacify them. And by doing that, McCann obviously didn't hurt them because they were able to move on from there. Beltron didn't hurt them per se. They actually were able to move them. But Ellsbury is the contract that's hurting them right now because that money could be put to so much better use. It really could. And, and I think for the Yankees, it, Sonny Gray is a key to their season because I think they're going to have enough games, win enough games the Yankees to be a playoff team. But when you get into a playoff situation, when most teams have two pitchers they can throw at you, like, for example, the Mets would have – Syndergaard and DeGrom in a short series. They could well, it's very difficult for any team. That's where, once you get into the tournament, that's why, you know, all this about, you know, fans getting crazy, run differential and everything. At this point, get into the tournament. It'd be better to get into the tournament as a division winner so you don't have to play that wild play-in game. But get into the tournament and all bets are off because, you know what? I think in a short series... You have Severino on the Yankees, but I'd rather have the one-two that the Mets have than well, Severino. Or even everyone else in the American League, Keiko and Verlander. Very tough. The and Indians have a one and two. The Red Sox have a one and two. Right. Every team can the Yankees of, go out Yankees and get that? Do. I don't know. I mean, in that we'll see how things develop and transpire as the year goes on. Where I would give Brian Cashman credit is first of all surviving in New York as long as he has. Yes. I mean, that's the first thing. The second thing is, uh, and he's been. On this, he wasn't able to do this when uh, George was alive, and to a certain degree, in the midst of A. Rod and Jeter in the core four or core five, however you want to look at it, he wasn't able to do this. He's able to invest in the farm system and really do a rebuild. Now he got lucky. The Andrew Miller uh, and the Chapman moves yielded a lot of talent. He got really lucky on that because, truthfully, if it wasn't for the fact that the Cubs hadn't won in so long, and that was the piece they needed, and the town was thirsting for a championship, I don't know if other teams would have given as much for right. Chapman, knowing that he can walk. For the Cubs, they probably thought, I don't know, well, maybe you know we'll, we'll be able to resign him. They also used him as a guy that they had no regard for. They used him Absolutely. to burn him, and now not only did that work out, they got the talent. We'll see how Tor- uh, uh, Gleyber Torres works out, um, but the Yan- Yankees got him back, and he's still been pretty good despite the miles that are on him. Um, so he's rebuilt the farm system. You look up and down this lineup, uh, the Gregorius trade, uh, Miguel Andujar, who is highly regarded. Uh, they let Todd Frazier walk for this kid. We'll see how that works out. You know, these are young. That's the other thing. There's a lot of young players. I'm looking up and down the lineup. Uh, you know, Gary Sanchez, Andujar, uh, Torres. I know they'll probably import some veterans as the year goes on. Drury might come back. We'll see what they do in terms of complementing the roster. But there's a lot of youth there. And there not every young team is going to come together and compete and execute in the big spot. Everyone talks about the 96 Yankees. Yeah, Jeter was a rookie. But you had tons of veterans tons. on that team. Tons of veterans. O'Neal was already in his, his veteran uh, times. Bernie Williams was not a young player at that point. Bernie Williams was up. Bernie Williams was part of the Yankees when they were bad. Paul, Paul O'Neill was old. Paul O'Neill so. was a little older. Um, Posada kind of slid in under Gir- after Girardi. So it's not the same parallel. This is truly a young team and a team that experienced the innocent climb last year, but some of those guys are gone, and now you have players coming in that are experiencing this for the first time, and you don't have. You know, Judge is a young player. He's never won anything, and he was not good in the playoffs last year. Yeah, maybe it was the shoulder and all that stuff. John Carl Stanton hasn't won anything. No, and, and you know, so there's a lot. Yeah. This, this roster is a good roster. They have a lot to prove. 
They're off to a good start, and they're just going to hit enough where bad teams and bad bullpens can't compete with them. That's why they're going to win 95 games. They really are, and I had them actually at 99 is what I predicted them at the start of the season. Um, we talked a lot about baseball. We talked a little about the NBA playoffs. Uh, I got to talk about the Francesa thing because this was all over the place this week, and you know, this has so many levels to it. Um, this is a man who criticized years ago Marv Albert for taking time away from Iron Eagle years ago on his show, saying, how can you do that? You're an old guy. You're going to need one to step aside. This guy had a, 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 a retirement tour more, better than Jordan had, basically. And all of a sudden now comes back. I understand why WFAN is doing it. They want to promote ratings. I know the Michael K show beat them in the fourth quarter books. I don't think they beat them by a lot, but they beat them by a significant enough number that it got, I should say, the intercom people who now own CBS thinking about what they wanted to do. But, you know, in life sometimes it's really hard to go back to the person you were with before when things were set at the end and rejuvenate and I think part of the problem is going to be in that newsroom there are going to be people that absolutely hate Mike for doing what he's doing to the people that were were doing the new show they weren't good but you got to give people time and a show to ferment and at the same time there's going to be people that are going to say well, well Mike's a meal ticket for us I just the think sales department is celebrating. They are. If you go on LinkedIn, I'm not going to mention names. I follow a high-profile person in that sales department over there. Uh, they're very happy. If you're a salesperson at, at Intercom now, but, you are hurting trying to make some commission with the ratings that but, you were trotting out or fearful of what was coming down the pike. You know I had sales departments in this industry. And what I would say to a salesperson who said that is, I, I guess we have to change your title from account executive to order taker. Right. Because... You're suppo- That's a sales issue in every you're industry. You're supposed to be able to sell when it's difficult. Right. I'll use the Tom Hanks line in the in the baseball movie. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone else could do it. It's the hard that makes it great. And I say this to people that I worked with at ESPN as well. The Michael K show is a better listen than what Francesca will be. And the reason I say that is Michael K, for all of his bravado and all the people say he's this and he's that, Michael K does listen to the callers. Michael K does let the callers have an opinion, even if it's not his own. I agree. Michael K treats the callers with respect. Um, I feel like when I listen to Francesa, I'm being lectured. And I don't need to be lectured. I want to be entertained, but I also want my opinion to come out. And I think I still think to this day he needs a partner. Kim Jones would have been perfect for Mike Francesa to partner with because I think she would have reined him in and I think she would have showed that there's a nice side to this business as well as a bad side to this business. And I really think that the the ratings win that K-Show had, it wasn't just happenstance. I think it has something to do with the fact that, that ESPN caters more to the millennial listener than WFAN does. And I think that there will definitely be a ratings increase for WFM, but I don't think it's going to be as intense 
as people think it might be. Well, there's a lot of different things going on, I think, that people aren't really paying attention. First of all, Intercom wasn't the transition necessarily that just was happening. They've been trying to, CBS was trying to move away from the fan and meld the CBS radio network into it. The only New York shows left, if you don't count Summers doing his shtick whenever they could throw him in there, was the morning show and and Francesa. And the morning show now is still a New York show, uh, but... You know, I, I always felt that morning show with Carton, I never liked it. I never understood the the success that had it. But it really, there was no sports alternative unless you went to satellite radio. Right. So if you don't have satellite radio, not everybody does, it's becoming a little bit more common now. Uh, you know, what are you going to listen to? Francesca was a New York show. Mag, uh, Carlin, Maggie Gray, and Bart Scott were not really reeking of New York. And I think what Kay, when I have issues with Kay, Kay and I have gone back and forth, and Michael is not a big fan of mine, so I'll put that out there. But uh, my issues with Michael were more about, um, you know, not holding himself accountable for years ago for something he said. But regardless, I agree with you. He listens to the callers. I think it's a New York show. Don LaGreca is a New York guy. I'm not huge on Rosenberg. I think a third person in there. Uh, and this is not a knock on Rosenberg. I think it doesn't fit. I'm not a big on a three-man radio show. I think two is the most you should do. And if there's a third person, they need to be like our buddy over there. If we call on him, great. He wants to chime in. If not, kind of you know stay where you are because it just doesn't fit. It's clumsy, Rich. I, um, I agree. And and but they're New York guys. Michael's a Fordham guy. You know, yes. He's a Yankee guy, and he's going to be viewed just like you're going to be viewed, and I'm going to be viewed more as Mets guys. But that, but we have more depth than that. I, at least you do. I don't know if people think I do. Um, and Don is a hockey guy, and yeah. he's a hardcore guy. Don is a guy that, you know, was up there in the the blue seats watching the Rangers. You know, he's passionate about New York sports, and people could see through people who are trying to pretend. If you and I go to Oklahoma City right now and try to be Oklahoma City guys. They're going to throw us out on the next uh, train. We're not going to come across that way. And that, to me, is what radio hasn't done. They knew that Francesca was retiring. Where's your farm system? Who's your next New York guy? If they, they, you know, they they focused on, well, let's get diversity. Diversity comes when you bring the right person in. Because whether you're white, you're black, you're female, you should be able to connect. This show that you and I did should not be connecting to white males or African-Americans, or it should connect to sports fans. Right. New York sports fans. Forget about race and color and all this other stuff. New York sports fan is a New York sports fan is a New York sports fan. That's and, it. And I'll, I'll tell you this about Francesa, too. And this may not even, listeners might not even care about this. Francesa's not a good person. He, he really is. He's about himself. And Russo's the same way. And, and look, a lot of people on radio are that way. And a I lot know, of people. That, but, it's a dirty business. But, but I make the distinction between him and Russo in that, Russo, and I'm telling you this from personal, I'm one of the few people that's worked at both stations, 98.7 and WFAN. And I can tell you that Chris Russo would give you the shirt off his back if he thought it would help you get a job at the fan. Michael K, My, Michael K would do the same thing. Because Michael K's done it for me. I'll give you a great story about Michael K. I'm at Fordham. I'm just starting to learn how to be on air at Fordham. And he knew I was nervous about it, about doing my first cast. And so he didn't tell me until like 20 minutes before I was going to go on the air and told me he had utmost confidence in me. Now, listening back to this thing, it's one of the worst casts I've ever done. And maybe it, maybe that was ever been done in radio. But my point is, Michael K can see through the trees. He was saying, well, it may be a bad cast, but this guy's got something. I got to tell him 
to believe in himself. Mike Francesa wouldn't care about that. He wouldn't right. care about that if if right. if you gave him all the accolades in the world. And I think that at some point in life that's got to come to fruition. And I'm telling you right now, the other thing I like about the K show is that they broke down the NFL draft far better than the fan did. They brought people in, experts, and they talked about it. They had fans come in and talk to the experts. And it's like I almost get the feeling that Mike Frances is doing a show in a silo. It's basically sitting. It's Debbie the Time Life operator. Just take calls. It's not easy to do three and a half hours. Now he'll do three and a half hours. And what people don't realize, 3 to six thirty, seven o'clock is what radio. Radio doesn't care about 1 to 3. It never was because if you looked at Mike's ratings all these years with Chris, they probably weren't as good 1 to 3 as they were 3 to 7. Remember, they were going up against Rush Limbaugh. It's not just about the sports. Right. You're going up against other heavy-hitting shows, 3 to 7. And that's, that's where they – that's the selling time. Everyone looks at the show and says he's number one. They're looking at from 3 to 7 o'clock. So, um, you know, Michael probably pulling some ratings. This is a patch. This is like bringing back uh, Billy Martin for the second or third or yeah. fourth or fifth time. Sequels are never good as the first one. Never. And, and the third time is never as good as the sequel, which wasn't as good as the initial. Let's put it that way. Well, and, and the other thing I think is there's so many different ways now that a sports fan can get information or even talk about it. A sports fan can stay on Twitter for three and a half hours, start a conversation with 20 people he knows, and never turn the radio on. And... I think that ESPN has a better handle on that than WFAN does and understands it. And I think that, you know... And Michael Kay has been very interactive on Twitter from day one. I mean, he, he actually, he's interacted while he's in the booth, Yeah, you know, doing Yankee games. So i got to give him credit for that for sure. And this is my prediction. And I'm going to play this and give this to Michael Kay at tomorrow when I... Oh, when he hears that I was with you, though, Rich, you might not, he might not be as, as open to listening to it. So, but He still owes me on a bet. That he knows, but, but I won't get into that. By third quarter of 2018, third quarter, the Michael K. show will outdistance the ratings of Francesca's show on WFM. And I would love nothing more to see that because see how Francesca would spin it. That's what I'll say. So, I know. Yeah. He'll find a way to spin yeah, it. There's always, always a spin. There's a lot. He always does. Just to give you uh, an idea, in the next couple of weeks, Mike will be sitting here with me and our Justin Walters. Um, I will be in Philadelphia two weekends from now with the Mets and Phillies, and then the following week I'll be in Atlanta with the Mets and Braves. So there will be a a mix and match of people. Mike, it was great having you on the show today. Always love it. Looking forward to next week. Uh, Looking a lot. And uh, be well, man. Have a good week. We will. And obviously on Sunday I'll be covering the Mets and the – who are they playing? They're playing the Colorado Rockies next Sunday. I'll be covering that and bringing back plenty of content to play on the show. And, yes, Met fans, you are the first place New York Mets one month through the season. Don't let the Met beat writers tell you that's not important. Till next week, see you guys. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.